Sandoz. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nookie spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my new friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandoz and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher. Another edition of Sandoz and the Sidekick. We'll get you set up for women's basketball tomorrow. Down in Macon, Georgia, they'll take on the Mercer Bears. We'll also talk to Pat Good. Good, Good times. times. Ooh, Good times with Pat. up with you. Good times. And in uh, the last segment, mid-major, top 25, College Insider. We'll talk about that. Our thoughts and complaints, gripes, which honestly, I don't know. Now, unlike football, I've not had too many complaints and maybe because basketball plays more games there's more it sounds separate. like it kind of works itself out after a little bit football limits the number of games because you play I, I guess because one or two losses can really dictate football where basketball hey you get a couple losses you kind of move on it sounds like you're calling football voters players and everyone involved in the sport a bunch of meatheads that's what it sounds like to me it's very midwest slant where this one is a little bit of everything. They've got uh, the West Coast represented. They've got uh, the South. They've got uh, Upper Northeast. Uh, there's a couple Midwest. Well, to be fair, there's also like three times as many Division One. Well, I suppose mid-major, mid-major though, there's sure, only sure. There's 360 some 335, yeah. I think, total Division One basketball. And if you just get the niche of FCS, it's like 116. So I suppose that is pretty comparable to the FCS level. Or maybe in football, maybe. Because football, how many FCS football schools are there? Probably about 120 uh, some. I know at FBS yeah, there's yeah. 130. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking at about two. It's about 250, I think, when collectively Division One football. If I'm not mistaken, give or take when you combine the two. You, the Google is great for the this. Google. Once you can Google it, I'll Google it, it and you open the show. Okay. All right. So. As we talked about, we're going to go women's basketball. Eventually, we're going to get to this top 25. Maybe we'll talk about that a little more. Uh, Pat, good on the second segment. What we're going to lead with ETSU women's basketball and what would be early, I think, before the season started, you would think a pretty big game. ETSU, Mercer, and I still think it's a big game. It's just a different reason why it's a big game. Mercer has really been struggling, and I don't know if it's the new contract for Suze Gardner or what's going on there, but uh, certainly losing a player, dismissing, not just losing, telling them to go home and take your ball and go somewhere else and play different than a player leaving so um interesting there and they have not seemed to recover from that now in fairness she was blessed with a couple of just stud athletes for the you know last three or four years 
and losing some all-timers, including one that was drafted in WNBA, certainly the talent drop-off there has happened. 130 FBS programs, 126 FCS programs, 350 NCAA Division One men's basketball programs. How many of those are mid-majors? I'll leave that up to you to find out. And also, mid-major is kind of a subjective term, so that could be a bit tougher. But those are the three I just want to go over, I nailed the 126. You're not even going to give me credit for that. Uh, we also said 335 for NCAA men's basketball. Year it was 350. Off, so. oh, yeah. well, I keep adding people. I'm, I'm sorry. Close, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry that I was 15 off out of the 350 and nailed one of the other. Number. Yeah, 15 is a pretty okay. big number. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Kiki Calloway and uh, Kalia Lawrence. I mean, those were two of Not the bad. top players at the mid-major level. Kalia Lawrence was one of the top players in the country when she was at Mercer. She went on to be drafted in the WNBA, I believe, a second rounder. But they've also lost some players outside of Calloway, who was the SoCon Player of the Year in the Media Awards. Amanda Thompson last year was the SOCOM Player of the Year in the Coaches Award. So two players of the year on the same roster in the same year is who Mercer lost. Kiki Calloway, Amanda Thompson, of course, the year before. Kalia Lawrence, but also starter Lanaya Rosendahl, gone. Starter Rachel Self, gone. So with Calloway, Thompson, Rosendahl, and Self, that's four of their five starters. Allie Welch was their only sub to appear in every game last year, graduated. They do have three pretty solid players back. Shannon Titus who I think everyone kind of anointed that next Lawrence or Callaway, but she just hasn't been able to live up to that billing. Now, she's been very good. There's no question about that. Uh, she's doing a little bit of everything, you know, kind of a five tool if you want to use a cross-sport term, and she's been very solid blocking shots, playing defense, does a little bit of scoring, can rebound a little bit as well, but she hasn't been that takeover player I think that they were maybe expecting with her maturation. Uh, sophomore forward Jaron Darty has actually been very good. The team's second leading returning scorer behind Titus, but this should tell you how thin Mercer was coming into the season. Their second leading returning scorer, Darty, 2.1 points per game last year. So didn't really contribute much at all, at least in the scoring department. 15.3 per contest this year, tied with Micah Sheets for third in the league. Amoria Neal Tyser is the other of the big three. Just two points per game last year, and she's got 11 this year. Uh, McLaughlin. Uh, McLaughlin's the one that you were talking about, the point guard that has since Jordan McLaughlin was fourth on the team in scoring since been either dismissed or went her separate ways with the team, now going to North Carolina A&T. So she's gone, was their fourth leading scorer. Tia Benavuti is their fifth, but she's been shut out three of the last five games. Then Summer Paul has been on and off the court. She's their sixth leading scorer, and then P.J. Wintermeyer is still absent. Paul missed three weeks earlier this year. Wintermeyer is on a streak of missing three weeks. And then Jill Harris is the new point guard who is, what, seventh then on the team in scoring, but she really doesn't do a lot of scoring. She's more of a distributor. So the complete makeup and the complete layout of this team has changed, and I'm not surprised that Mercer has had a bit of a problem adjusting because when you're used to a Kalia Lawrence, a Kiki Callaway, everything feeds off of them. Even last year with Amanda Thompson, you and me both saw her play. She was a gritty, scrappy, hard-nosed player, and that's exactly what you need next to a Kiki Callaway or a Kalia Lawrence, someone that is going to be where she needs to be, right? There's going to be a lot of attention attracted to those top two players, um, and last year the top one player when it came to Lawrence – and that meant that Thompson could go off, right? Because all the attention was on Lawrence. Lawrence could disappear for games at a time, and it wouldn't matter a ton because they had horses outside of Kalia Lawrence. This year, they don't have the number one. I think they've got a lot of very good number twos and number threes, but when you go from years and years of the dominant top-of-the-heap alpha to 
kind of a muddly mix of a lot of other type things that are trying to get you by in games. It's not surprising they're three and fifteen and zero and three in the Southern Conference after they lost just four games over the previous four years combined in the Southern Conference regular season. I, I think the the thing that really and it's so tough non conference and conference because each it, it, whether it's the men or the women's side each take a different approach to scheduling and trying to look up uh, each year and figuring out which one's the toughest. And there's a strength schedule RPI. You can do some of that, and you can look at some and go, okay, Chattanooga, you could see why maybe their non-conference record is what it is. You look at Mercer's, and they've got a few games in there. It seems like a nice mix of two. But then they get into conference play, and you get a little bit more into apples-apples. And I know that they haven't played particularly a lot of games, just three of them, but some disturbing trends from where they used to be just averaging 54 points in league play. They're giving up uh, 70, so obviously negative 16 there. But here's the thing that shocks me because they were always great at getting to the free throw line in three conference games. Now, West Carolina, Mercer, the only – well, West West Carolina, Mercer, Sanford, UNCG have all played three. Everybody else has played four. They've gotten to the free throw line 19 times in three games. Mm. And that is such a change for me – remembering what Mercer used to be with all the talent. And so 10 of 19 where you can get, you know, I don't want to call them cheap points because you obviously still have to shoot. But even when they get there 10 of 19 times, they're only, I mean, they're only 53%, which again is shocking. So I think them not being able to muster up any offense, uh, whether it's getting the ball inside, whether it's driving the hoop, whether it's doing anything, that is such a shock from what you've been used to when you've watched the Mercer Bear squad the last several years in those championship teams. So... I don't know where it turns around. They're they're not very good in field goal percentage. They're dead last, I think, in three-point shooting, and they're close to it. I mean, they're just struggling in all those areas of scoring, which was always so easy for them. But the free throw numbers, the one that just jumped out off the pages, I was just kind of looking at some stats in league to see maybe what's different between, again, non-conference is just tough, and I don't have enough time to really break down everybody's non-conference i could tell you you know the best teams that they played uh for everybody but just breaking down individually some of the other mid-major matchups and such i don't really know but looking at league action that's the one thing that i'm shocked by is the fact that they cannot or have not been able to get to the free throw line and that's where something etsu's really excelled at well i did break down mercer's mid-major schedule in the non-conference they lost to four power five schools four in the top 100 in the RPI, but they also lost to five schools in the bottom third of the RPI. And while two of those went to overtime, one was a loss by three to Gardner-Webb, and they lost by just four to Clemson. They've also gotten blown out by Kennesaw State, who, if you know anything about Kennesaw State basketball, on the men's side, we poke fun. On the women's side, they're a slight bit better, but still 227 out of the 351-team RPI. And then Wofford, now we know what Wofford can do. They did it to the Bucks. But Wofford is also still number 297 in the RPI of 351 teams. That was also a 28-point loss, so not close. They've kind of lost to teams all over the board. And I think some of their offensive identity not really finding itself. You talked about free throws and getting to the line, being on the front foot, being aggressive. Some of that comes from athletes, right, just being able to drive and go off the dribble and get in the paint and draw that contact. But I also think while you're trying to – adjust and adapt away from that single score you need some continuity on the court in terms of having the same bodies out there all the time and developing camaraderie with your teammates while you're trying to play more as a team instead of um, feeding off one player and the last couple of years Mercer's had great luck with health Uh, the same starting five in all but one game last year that was Callaway Thompson self we mentioned 
Titus and Rosendahl, Titus the one that missed a game. The season before, four of their five starters were in the starting lineup for at least 32 of their 33 games, that being Khalil Lawrence, Callaway, Sidney Means, who was a very good point guard, and Thompson. The other starter was Rachel Self. She still started 25 of the 33 games this season. All but two starters have missed at least three games, and seven players have started at least five or more. And then you add in the loss of Jordan McLaughlin, the point guard who we talked about, who's now going to North Carolina A&T, who is fourth on the team in scoring and had started every game in the first nine before going her separate ways from the program. And then throw in the loss of P.J. Wintermeyer. We mentioned the three-week summer. Paul, the important sub, missing three weeks earlier this year. And you've got a team that just has not had enough time on the court together. They're lacking that leader to step up and be the person. I don't know if it's their on-court leader or someone just to lead by example, but clearly that is lacking. And Susie Gardner, I'm sure this is a shock to her system because she has been a winner pretty much at every step of the way. So I'm sure she's very frustrated. And correct me if I'm wrong here, and this is something you can speak to, I think, just as well as I can, but you look at the maturation of these programs, and Susie Gardner's been there for 10 years. But let's just look at the last five or six Kalia Lawrence and Kiki Calloway were that team, right? Where with ETSU, and it's no disrespect to anyone that's come through the program, but you think ETSU women's basketball last five or six years, who do you think? Tiana Tarter? Erica Haynes-Overton. You know, two players that were that type of individual and that dominant of a person on kind of both ends of the court. Tiana was a great takeaway artist, and then Erica came in and was even better. Maybe Tiana was more of a natural scorer, where Erica was maybe a better athlete. But I think those are players that are on the same type of level as a Lawrence and as a Callaway. And you see, without those players, it is initially a struggle for both sides. Yeah, and I think that's a great comparison. And, you know, those were ladies that really went toe-to-toe versus one another quite a bit in their tenure and you know Susie Gardner was once I think at Arkansas that's right 64 was, and 54 yeah so there, I mean yep. she was a head coach at a high level was she didn't get that from not being a good coach right and so being able to do what she's done at Mercer which honestly when the Bucks started in the Atlantic Sun Conference they were a train wreck and it took her a while to build the program there was actually a little bit of rumblings after four years in like hey we're paying this former SEC coach not doing anything now all mm. of a sudden you're seeing what that's going and now she's a highest paid coach in the Southern Conference rightfully so she's been the most dominant team the last several years and and been sort of the the when you had to look up right king of the mountain you got to knock off that mountain and so they won three games this year and the only odd win to me they, they knocked off a Nandi one LaGrange just up the road in Georgia they also knocked off uh, Georgia Southern uh, I'm sorry, they, uh, yeah, Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern and yeah. South Carolina State. South Carolina State's traditionally not very good in women's basketball. The Georgia Southern's interesting because Georgia Southern was fresh off a win against Wofford where they won by double digits and then turned around and got beat pretty handily by Mercer. Right. And so, I, I, you know, you kind of look at the schedule and the way that Mercer went back-to-back wins there, too. I was looking, you know, they beat uh, South Carolina State. They beat Georgia Southern both by double digits. So you're thinking maybe they turn a corner. Four point loss. Clemson probably respectable. Play Florida. You're like okay, it's Florida. Then you get into Gardner Webb. Tough loss. Jacksonville. Tough loss. And a Yale. You know, under really ten good. point loss. And Columbia really wore them out in that contest. And then all of a sudden they got a league play and they haven't been competitive. I mean, they haven't even been close. So I don't know. You know, where sort of it looked like they were playing pretty good basketball and maybe trying to get over that hump of being a good team. I guess is where I'm going with that if you look at the results and some of the scoring. But then the scoring just once they got to that Columbia game, 48, 49, 49, 64. I mean, just really couldn't, having trouble putting the ball in the hoop. 
and I don't know if all of that is just aggressiveness, just the point guard, just just not having a player that can make a basket when you need it. And I cannot stress enough how important it is. I think the last couple of years, men's basketball, we've talked about, or I've talked about that on air sometimes, who's the person that's going to stop the bleeding? You know, if, if somebody's on the run, who is going to stop that run? Or who's going to lead the charge? You know, who's going to make it back? Now, all of a sudden, for ETSU men's basketball, it seems like well, there's like seven guys that can do it now. But a couple of years ago, it was like, we really don't know who that person is going to be to do it. You know, once T.J. Crummer left the program, it was kind of, you know, he thought maybe Bradford, but then he had signs where he didn't. And so it's kind of gone back and forth. And for me, um, not having watched, you know, more than a couple of minutes here and there of Mercer women's basketball, it seems like they don't have that person. That doesn't mean they don't have a leading score. Every team has a leading score. That doesn't necessarily mean you're the person to step up and make the play. But I think Mercer's looking for who is going to be the person that when we need something, rather to extend a lead to put a team away, or vice versa, when it's a 6 nothing run, who can stop it from becoming 8, 10, 12, 14-point run? Allow me to posit this theory, Jay Sandos, about the league struggles, if you may. Now, you know master motivators like Brittany Azell, like Susie Gardner, you know, they're very... Um, I, I think they're similar in some ways. You know, on the sideline, they're they're very into the game, very aggressive, very on top of every detail. You know, very good coaches, um, master motivators, I'd say. And when you have motivators, they in a season like this, I think both Coach Zell and Coach Gardner, you got to try a lot of different things. And for Coach Gardner, I think perhaps the thought was a very simple motivational tactic. Okay, look, we struggled. You know, lost four in a row at the end of 2019. Our time to adjust is over. Let's go in. Let's pull this upset against Yale, who's top 50 in the RPI. They're very solid in the Ivy League. And this will be turning a new page. And they were on the verge of doing so. Mercer was. Tight game. End up losing by eight. And so that's a bit of a letdown. And then you have to turn around and stay in the Northeast and face another Ivy League team. And we know from ETSU's trip up to Cornell, Ivy League can be very tough a bit of a letdown against Columbia. And so then that motivational tactic doesn't exactly work. You go into league play and that offense struggled against Columbia. And it all stems from that January 2nd loss to Yale two days later to Columbia. And then it's just trickled through that conference season. I think where you're right. I mean, Sanford, it was an eight point game, but against Sanford, that's a team that they have recently dominated. Like they've dominated a lot of the Southern Conference. So I think that's where it started. And you're right. When they've needed that big shot, they haven't been able to find it. Because, yes, while they do have Jared Doherty and they do have Shannon Titus and they do have Amoria Neal Tyser, they don't have the sure hand and steady hand at the wheel in Khalil Lawrence and Kiki Calloway on the floor. You mentioned the thought of when this may turn around, if it does turn around. I'll just throw this out there. They haven't been at home this entire calendar year. They played five road games, and I think part of the deal with the Yale-Columbia and then into conference play was on top of the fact that things kind of snowballed in the Ivy League and maybe the message from Susie Gardner, if it was indeed the message, didn't quite get through. And I think it's in the back of your mind, too, as a player, like, okay, that was the half of the season that really doesn't matter, right, the non-conference. Now we got to start to ramp it up, and this is our chance to turn things around. So even if it wasn't the message from Susie Gardner, I think it was in the minds of the players. But you come back from the Northeast, and then you got to go right back on the road. So I think that may be part of it. And I'll give Mercer's fans credit. They've continued to show up. They haven't had a crowd less than 1,000 down at Hawkins Arena, uh, and they're averaging like 1,500 per game. And in a season like this, and ETSU's fans have done the same, you know, continue to show up even though times are a bit tough in the win-loss column. Um, so I think that they're going 
to have a very important contest on Thursday against the Bucks, and probably equally as important as it is for ETSU. This is a huge game for each side because neither of these teams are used to being where they are right now. And Mercer getting back home, I think there's potential for them to gain a little bit of traction. For ETSU, uh, you got to come out hungry and desperate. You know, Coach Zell, I know, is trying to hammer that into their heads. Like, we're not used to losing like this in conference, and the urgency has to be even greater than it's been coming into this contest. I, I think, and you touched on a little bit just the pure numbers of it. I mean, eventually, some of that's got to be. I mean, because you look at the minutes people are playing. I'm just going to the last game, and you can go to all the conference games. Five players with 30 minutes. Four players with 38 minutes, three players 39 minutes or more. So you're looking at 31, 38, 39, 39, 39, off the bench six, four, and four. I mean, at some point in time, and you and you look at that, and it's slightly less. That's a little bit more um, egregious in the last game against Sanford, the travel partner. Maybe they had a little bit more time off going into the next game, but you look at some of the other minutes played: 40, 29, 36. 23, 25, 17, 19, and then a couple people smattering of two and three minutes. I mean, just the the similar to ETSU, sort of the numbers game, is it wearing on Mercer? And to your point, is that wearing on Mercer and you're doing it away from home for five straight? So maybe the friendly confines is what they needed. They need to turn around. Is Susie Gardner in danger of losing the season and the team and just, just being a learning experience and – youth movement and hey let's take our lumps move on next year i don't know because the conference is wide open i mean i still don't uncg's the top of it i i don't do i think they're a team to be right now sure but do i think they're beatable absolutely they don't have a stranglehold on it yeah i mean chattanooga's proven that hey once they got into league play you know they're to contend with i think Furman still can have some say in it me and you both agree wofford you a little more than me but still we both think wofford's a good enough team to do it i think etsu I don't see anybody that that is just head and shoulders above them. I think Mercer will – this game may tell, and Sanford's got a new – so I, I still think everybody other than Western, and, and Mercer may be an 0-3 right now. I don't know if that's it's too big of a hill to climb. Uh, I don't think because I still think they could get – and I said this about ETSU is 1-3. I think they could get to the three seed. And you get to the three seed, you get a decent, you know, matchup in the quarters. You get a nice matchup in the 2-3. And take your shot with whoever sees you on the end of the finals. I think there's legitimately, you know, three through seven could fall any any which way. But this is an important game for both teams because somebody's got to right the ship. Is Mercer at home going to be able to right the ship? If your coach is Zell, she's looking, okay, we've got Mercer. We've got Sanford. We've got to be able to try to hold court at home. Can we get a split? Can we? It'd be great to get two, but can we at least get – and it's always easy when you get the first one, let's go get the second right. one. Right. But you have to be looking at this trip, Coach Ezell. they got to get a split, especially if they're trying to contend in the upper half of the league. And that's exactly what she told you on the coach's show on Monday night at Wild Wing Cafe was can't lose both. Now, two would be great, but have to split, and then if you're able to split again at home, or sorry, win that uh, game at home against Chattanooga, your travel partner, as you mentioned, and then you're 3-4 and four going into the second half of league play, Coach mentioned that she'd be – pretty content pretty satisfied with where the team is because then you can I'm, I'm sure not content is not the right word but she would be uh in a spot where she feels like she can work with that right because then you can figure things out in the second half of the season you have more home games than road games in the second half of the season and 
you can have some of those teams coming back to you that you had to go to have a bit of revenge on the minds, have that motivation built in from just a few weeks earlier, either uh, losing or the confidence to know you can come out and beat the team again. So I, I think you're right. It's got to be at least a split, and that makes the Thursday game that much more important because then there's not the pressure on Saturday. If you don't get the game Thursday, then there's the thought in your mind. I just think it's natural to creep in just, oh, boy, you know, here we go again. Last year on the road, we lost by – 20-plus to Mercer and Sanford. Before last year, the team actually wasn't bad on this road trip. They they split each of the first three since the SoCon started grouping these teams together for ETSU. They split, and that's impressive considering Mercer was so dominant for those uh, three or four years, really. They've won four consecutive Southern Conference regular season titles, splitting the first two at Chattanooga and then winning outright, going perfect throughout the conference regular season 2017-18 and 2018-2018. 19. So 100% agree with you. The first one to get that would be massive because then you've got momentum, confidence going to Sanford, which is going to be a pretty empty gym, as we know. They look to be better than the last couple of years with not playing that Princeton offense, hold it to 55, 60 points. Uh, it seems like the new coach down there that is good friends with coaches, all she's known for a long time, and all that also gives ETSU a bit of an advantage, right, going into that matchup. Seems like they're a bit better, but it doesn't really matter in that environment who the better team is on the whole going in. It matters how you react to the environment and who is better on that one day, as we found out last year, because ETSU was miles better than Sanford last year, and they got beat pretty good down in Birmingham. So huge game for both teams, no question, especially because the league is wide open. I could see Sanford kind of emerging from their funk, but I could also see ETSU having that urgency, that hunger, being a bit desperate, feeling like it's a must-win because I think in the minds of a lot of people in that locker room and in the coaches' offices, uh, it's a must to take one of these two on this road trip. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think for player sense of urgency, two things. If you're ETSU, you've got to think about not being able to get over the hump. And, and you know, sometimes it's all about one game at a time, individual victories, right? Well, if you're staring the first team in the face, it's Mercer's it's team that you have struggled with. You've got an opportunity to get that now again it's not the power of the mercy it is but doesn't matter sometimes you just need to get the streak broken to get things going and i think that's the way etsu should look at it for mercer simply going man we're back at home we've got to be able to do it and they're probably doing the same thing hey this team we always beat all right, right. same thing etsu looked at west carolina on the women's side and go hey that's what we do we beat them that's it so that's what you got to do so it'd be interesting to see 6 30 you'll be on the call 6 30 airtime seven o'clock tomorrow etsu versus mercer that's thursday We'll have it here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Good times. Pat. Good. Right after this timeout, Senator Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. It is Good Times with Pat, something we do about oh, once every two months, I'd say. Something I'd like to do more, but Patrick Good, ETSU men's basketball guard. Very busy, of course, this time of year. Tough for him to make time. We've only got three shows 
a week now. We had five last year, so we don't have nearly as much time to fill either. But Pat Good, always welcome. And Pat, we appreciate you stopping by this morning. And before we get to basketball, we want to hype up the chat game, of course. We want to talk about this team's season so far since the last time we talked to you, right before the LSU game. And that's a good omen, right? We talked to you right before the LSU game, and you went out and got that W. You had a big game yourself, so expecting big things this Saturday. But before we talk about that, I think it was like two days after you were on the show the first time this year, it was like four or so months ago, that you announced that you're having your first child. Congratulations, firstly. But secondly, I'm a little bitter you didn't break the news here on Santos and the Sidekick. Uh, thank you. Uh, this <laughs> is one of those things. Um, I'm not really a, a boastful person, but, I mean, it's a blessing to be able to, to say that and just have the support that I have. Um, we, we recently just had a little baby shower, and my teammates came out there, which was which was nice. I wanted them to be there just because – how close of a family that we are on and off the court and just for them to show up and be there um, for that special occasion really meant a lot to me but I'm excited I mean especially around this time you got basketball and school starting back up and then obviously she'll be here in a, in a, in a few weeks so it's just kind of the time of my life where everything's starting to, to settle in and get real because I'll graduate in May and stuff like that so I'm just excited to, to take this next step of my life. I promise I'm not actually mad about you not breaking the news on the show. That's a, that's a private thing. I understand that. How has it been juggling basketball and knowing that you're going to be a dad? I mean, a lot of people never get to this point, right? And that's something that I think is really special, like you said, especially at this time in your life because there's things that are all coming together. You've got your basketball career. You're going to graduate in May and then to have the baby on the way. That's a lot happening in a couple of months span. It is. And um, just just to know the, the support I have from my support system, my family and my teammates and my coaches and they make everything easier. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a difficult situation because it's my first first go around. I've had some experience with my niece, but that wasn't really a a twenty four hour duty. But um, I'm excited for it because I know if I wasn't supposed to be in this situation, uh, God wouldn't have put me in this situation to 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 be a father to a daughter or or just anybody. So I know I know that I can. Um, handle that way I mean my parents have really been good they set the the foundation for to how to to raise a child and in the steps that you should go and just being respectful and just kind of handling your business and just uh, holding me accountable at, at all different levels of my life and uh I just I'm just ready for the challenge and uh me and my girlfriend I feel like we're going to be great parents to our baby girl we all wish you the very best of luck on that front pat no question about it big couple of months coming up personally and really excited for you i know all of buck nation everyone around the athletic department everyone in your program your guys in the team are all really pumped for that so wish you the best of luck there gotta get into some basketball here because that's what people are so pumped about this time of year buck 17 and three number six in the mid-major poll receiving six votes in the ap top 25 of course the big one over lsu since the last time we talked i want to go back to the game immediately preceding us talking here on this wednesday how many times out of 50 do you think that you would beat isaiah tisdale in a three-point shooting contest because i'm thinking a lot of people are saying 48 or 49 and he goes off for six threes against the same team that you went off for 11 against last year 50 out of 50. I'm beating him 50 out of 50, no question. Yeah. I mean, he that's my roommate. No, I, I mean, I'll give him one or two maybe, but, I mean, he's just – Just to be nice, right? Yeah, he's a competitor, though. He's not – I mean, he's not some somebody that you can just go out there and take lightly. I mean, um, I know probably on the scout report for Western or really any teams uh, because of the percentages that he's not really a shooter. But, I mean, every day in practice – Every day after practice, I mean, when we do doing shooting drills and stuff like that, he just he just has the confidence about himself that he can knock down big shots. I mean, he's proven that. 
from last year and even this year. I mean, just to just to be out there and just be the floor general and the leader that he is. I mean, he just plays with the ultimate swagger that you would want to play with. But, uh, yeah, 50 out of 50. He's not getting a win. <laughs> we're, t- we're talking five balls, five different racks, three-point shooting contest, just like the NBA. And Pat Good is hitting what? 20, 21, 22. On a given day when you're in the gym, you got five racks, five spots, you know, corners, wings, and then top of the key. Is it 20 out of 21, 25? You go 25 out of 25 once in a while? Ooh, I think back in the summer I might have went like 24 for 25. Wow. But on a regular, I'd probably say 20, 21, 22 if I'm feeling it. And then, you know, sometimes you get in there about 15. The the rack's not, not what you thought it was, so it'd be about 15 to 25. That sounds like a notice out to Isaiah Tisdale. You got to keep working, baby. That was a nice game. But, boy, 20 to 25, 21 to 25, 24 of 25. It doesn't really matter who you are. That's going to be tough to go against Patrick Good in a three-point shooting contest, as Buck fans have known for a while. And I know you're going to – Hold yourself to that number, too. You said 50 of 50, you beat Isaiah. If you had 50, you're a nice guy, but I know you're going to want to beat him all 50 times. So, Isaiah, keep up the good work from three, but I think you got to keep working on that J to keep up with Pat. Uh, is that what makes this team so tough, though? Because Isaiah Tisdale, even Coach Forbes joked about it after the game, he sarcastically said, oh, yeah, we saw this coming because Isaiah Tisdale is so good at shooting threes. You know, like, we talk about the top traits of everyone on the team, yourself and Trey are the main shooters, and Jerome down low is a double-double machine, but then you see guys like Lucas Goussaint. He hits a couple big shots from outside, and at key times, one in the Kansas game, and he's hit a couple since, and then Isaiah has the big game when you and Trey go 0 for 5 from outside. It always seems like guys have each other's back and pick up where others may have left off in ways that you may not see on the scouting report, which for opponents, I'm sure, leaves them scratching their heads. For sure. I mean, if you if you look at the a college team or just any team, you have your, your the best players that you have to lock in on, focus on, and then if you shut them out, then you have to let the other teammates beat you. With this team, you can't really sh- say if you shut out Trey, then we have a chance to win. Well, that's not true because you have Bo Tisdale. Uh, myself, Joe, uh, Romy when he's playing, Davian. I mean, we just have so many pieces that we that we've put together to kind of just flow off one another. I mean, if you look at the scoring, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but if you look at the scoring, it's kind of all even throughout the the scoring column. I mean, like we've had eight different leaders uh, to lead us in the game, and um, just to know that anybody on the team can hit big shots at any given time. So it's kind of hard to to take away one player. I mean, you can you can try to do that, but I mean, it's not going to work in your favor, especially when we're clicking on all cylinders. I mean, we had a little stretch where we weren't so uh we weren't clicking really or I wouldn't say clicking, we just weren't hitting shots. I mean, we were getting great looks. I mean, it's just one of those things or uh where the percentages come into to effect. You see what I'm saying? So I mean, uh this is just one of those things where we kept doing the same thing. We didn't do nothing different in practice. We didn't do nothing different in pregame, shoot around, none of that. It was just one of those things. The shots weren't going in. But if you notice that we were still winning, and, and the objective of the game obviously is to score, but then if you think about the bigger picture, it's to win. So, I mean, you got to keep the other team from not scoring, and you have to score as well. But, I mean, if you score more than the other team at the end of the day, then, I mean – that's just it. it is what it is. I, I was going to ask you about that stretch and get your thoughts on it because we used some examples on this show of actually a team that Steve Forbes used to be an assistant coach on, Wichita State, which is one of the two teams that have gone undefeated in the regular season over the last 15 years. And then Kentucky, uh, one year apart from that, both those teams, and, and it was really eerie to look at, right around the time of the season, 
that your team was struggling a bit offensively as well. Uh, they had a three or four game stretch where they struggled in almost the exact same way. It was like the Bucks had hit under 40% in either three or four consecutive games right around the new year from the field. And Kentucky and Wichita State, the only two undefeated teams, and now I'm using those two teams as a comparison because that's as good as it gets, right? Uh, to illustrate the point that any team in a regular season is going to struggle no matter how prolific they are. They had struggles at almost the exact same times and then, much like your team, started to emerge from it just like you have over the last couple games against Sanford and Western Carolina. Do you think it's just kind of inevitable over such a long season or what did you think was going on at that time? It's, it is a long season, but once you get into conference play, everybody you're going to get everybody's best look and we're going to get everybody's best offensive look and best defensive look. I mean, you play each of these teams two to three times. So, I mean, and we've played them in the past. Some of the teams haven't really changed much. I mean, Furman pretty much bringing back everybody that they have from last year. Furman or Sanford kind of being the same. Look, Wofford changes dynamic a little bit, but UNCG kind of being the same, obviously losing a player, a couple players here and there. But um, they just try to they just try to take away your 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 best options. So you have to have a counter move for all of that. I mean, obviously with me and Trey um, being the shooters that we are, we're getting guarded different than what uh, Bo and Punter um, being guarded. So it's just one of those things where you have to realize what the defense is doing to you and just kind of distinguish with what a good shot is and what a bad shot is and kind of just stay away from those bad shots. Where did last year's team fall short of what this team is being able to achieve so far and what you hope it will achieve in the future? It seems like one of the things is really the effort on the defensive end of the floor, the consistency there. I loved the quote from Isaiah Tisdale. I think it was post-game. Um, I think it was Western this past game. Mm -hmm. He said that coach always talks about, you know, offense is going to kind of come and go here and there, as we saw in the last month or so. But defense always travels, and that he recruits offense because he's got to have that skill on the offensive end of the ball, right? But right. you also want to come in and coach defense because that maybe is a bit more – teachable in his mind so recruit offense coach defense I loved the quote I loved the mindset that that put at least me and listening to that and what it seemed like he was conveying the mindset of the team as well so that defensive end it seems like your calling card and that's crazy to say considering all the scoring options they have right <clears throat> I would say one word and you hit it right on the head defense I mean pun emphasizes it too and coach all the coaches do uh, I think last year we did we weren't really um, we weren't really – I wouldn't say focused on defense, but we didn't really take pride in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we gave up a, a school best and three-point percentage, which was like around 40% or something crazy like that. But um, just to know that we're locked in, you have to be locked in as, as a team. Like five, like you, everybody on the court has to be locked in. If, if somebody makes a mistake, then it gives the offense uh, the margin for error in, in college basketball, especially – with winning it is so small and limited so you can't make those lapses especially in the flow of the game because once they start to pile up then you see yourself starting to give up and ones offensive rebounds and uh, open three-point shots and we know that uh, we have to we have to be able to defend the drive and we have to be able to defend the three as well I mean it's just it's not easy but we know that we can do it and we hold ourselves to to a higher standard and we hold ourselves accountable especially in practice on and off the court and obviously the coaches uh, hold us to a different standard as well we want to be pushed because we 
nobody on this team has won a championship other than the coaches. So they know what it takes. And we we don't know what it takes, to, but we trust that what they're giving us will get us to where we want to be. 38% opponents converted from outside last year, 28% this year. To be able to cut 10% off that number is pretty crazy, and you've seen it reflected in the points per game against as well from 70 to 62 this year. So there's a clear reflection there. What's the toughest team you've faced in the SOCON this year and then outside of the SOCON. I always think it's fun to hear from a player. Of course, we can look and say, well, you know, there's there's LSU in the non-conference, and then in the conference you're looking at Furman, Wofford, and UNCG. But from a player perspective, I always like to hear those kind of things because we're all outsiders. We're not on the court. We don't see it or know it the way that you do. We're the two toughest opponents, one non-conference, one conference that you've seen. I would say the, the toughest conference so far would probably be – I know we lost to Furman – but I would say Wofford was was I would say them two and obviously UNCG really all of the teams <clears throat> all of the teams we get their best shot so it's kind of hard to to distinguish sometimes we just respond better than we do with others um, obviously with Western I mean we got there they cut it to eleven but then uh, Trey hit some big shots and we pushed the lead out to to whatever it ended up I think nineteen. But then the Wofford game, we weren't really hitting shots, so it was just a back-and-forth battle. And then the Furman game, we weren't hitting shots, too. So I would probably say so far, I would say Wofford because, I mean, they, they put a smackdown on, on Furman at, the, at their um, at their crib, what I would say, last Wednesday. Friday, Friday. yeah, on ESPNU, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we watched that game on the road trip over, but just to know, like, the conference, I mean, it there's no, there's no days off in the conference. I mean, you have Citadel and VMI competing um, – I think it was almost single digits against Citadel at at their place, and then they competed with um, UNCG. So it's just one of those things where you just have to just bring it every single night. But I would say non-conference. I mentioned LSU. That was a team that you didn't make it look too tough against, up by 23 in the second half and then winning by 11. Uh, Kansas, perhaps, Uh, number four in the country at that time and probably going to be a one or two seed. No doubt. Uh, North uh, Dakota State is a team that was in the tournament last year, and that was kind of an odd game because it was a really long road trip and you had to travel was. all the way up to Fargo. Yeah, I mean, I would say those two teams right there, but I don't like to base it off of a loss just because um, you you some things go different in the game and then you're able to win those games. But I would say those two. I mean, just um, – and Arkansas-Little Rock was a, was a game too. It was one of those battles. I mean, we were up. 12 maybe and they cut it down and they took the lead, took the lead by like seven. To 7 yeah and then we had to come back and fight so it's just one of those things I feel like every team that we've played we've gotten their best shot and it just depends on how you respond sometimes you respond better than others but I would say probably Kansas and uh, Arkansas Little Rock and North Dakota State alright let's turn to chat Saturday, January 25th 4pm Freedom Hall 3.30 pregame in the Buccaneer Sports Network but we want people at the arena need people at the arena I want to get your thoughts on just Chattanooga. You grew up, obviously, right here in this backyard. You were around during the times where maybe not the right in the heat of the Chattanooga rivalry, but you know what it means to this area, to this program, to the fans around the area. And Do you dislike Chattanooga? What do you feel about Chattanooga? Do you, do you capture kind of the area's sentiment and take it to heart, or do you just try and stay more even keel this time of year? Even keel? I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate any team and I but I don't like any team I respect every single team that that we play that will ever play don't don't get me wrong because you have to right like you yeah. can't get caught up in the emotion because that can affect your game right you just have to you have to go in uh 
level minded every game, but you have to you have to have that certain amount of respect. I mean, everybody does. We will never overlook or underlook anybody, obviously. But um, I mean, I would say I would say the fans probably dislike Chattanooga, so that kind of makes us uh, dislike Chattanooga. But um, the rivalry is just what you would expect it to be. I mean, obviously with the traditions of both programs from going from the um, what conference were they in beforehand? The SoCon, yeah, well, they, they've always yep. been in SoCon. So just that, just that rivalry that they've had there, and um, just the tradition of it being so close. I mean, that's one of the things that the fans can make that drive to Chattanooga, and their fans could can make that drive to Johnson City as well. So I mean, it's going to be a great battle. I mean, they're much improved from last year, and they gave us a game in the uh, in the tournament last year. So I mean, you can't, like I said, you can't overlook anybody, and, and you don't want to overemphasize a rivalry game you just want to take it one game at a time i love your message on twitter it's one we want to convey and emphasize here as well quote can we get a sold out game on saturday against chat we're talking every seat filled like six thousand fans is that too much to ask for firstly no absolutely not too much to ask for for some of the best basketball in the region forget the conference forget the state some of the best basketball at the college level in the region not too much to ask for in any respect secondly fans shape your days around these games you can show up a couple hours ahead of time. We know what the atmosphere can be at William B. Green Jr. Stadium on tailgate days. Down the stretch, you've got six more home games to be able to take in ETSU basketball before they go to the SoCon tournament. And we know what the atmosphere can be at the SoCon tournament, too. You can turn home games into that. If your students shape your day around it, if you want to carpool down, go park your car and just hang out a couple hours ahead of time. If you want to hang out at your place and then go down at game time, students got to show up. People from around the area show up in droves. Need even more of that, though, as well, because I think the most that we've gotten this year is like 5,300. And this is the time of year where we really have to start ramping up those numbers to make it an intimidating atmosphere. And I know, Pat, that players appreciate it as well. No doubt. I mean, we lead it, we lead it in attendance. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, I mean, I just feel like it's it's time for, for a, a sold-out game. I mean, just – I mean, not not – just because we won 17 games or anything like that, I just feel like um, just the season that we're having so far and, and to, to know that what we're capable of, I feel like we deserve that. I mean, the time that we've put in and, and I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Like I said, we have the best fans in the SOCOM, but I just want to – I feel like myself and my teammates want to see a, a sold-out game and just be able to feel that energy and just to, just to uh, bring that life to Johnson City. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're the player here. I'm just, again, someone that's talking to you, you know, in a studio. But when you see that from your fans, uh, that feels to me like it could be a really big confidence boost. Like, it's not just a superficial surface type thing like, oh, cool, we got a salad. It's like you really feel that when the place is packed. Oh, yeah, you feel it. You feel it. Uh, you feel it in the pregame. You feel it during the game. And you feel it after the game. And especially during the flow of the game, just, just to see – one of my teammates hit a big shot or, or, or Isaiah taking a charge and just hearing the fans go crazy and just going out there and just pumping everybody up and just just feeling that energy in that arena just kind of like gives me chills and I just want everybody to be a part of it and just kind of just embrace the time that we have because obviously with the team that we have we have a bunch of seniors and uh we're I, I would say we're a veteran team but um just to just to embrace every home game that we get, obviously with the season kind of getting to the uh, we'll hit the back end on the 
I think next week or something like that. So just to know that we have limited games at home, I want to I want the support to to fill a sellout arena. And that can be a springboard going forward to know that they have that kind of support affects the entire rest of the season. So fans, get there. You heard it from Pat Good. There's no better source to talk to about this. Get to Freedom Hall this Saturday, 3.30 pregame here in the Buccaneer Sports Network, but 4 o'clock is tip, so listen to pregame on the way in, get your ticket, get inside, and let's get 6,000 to Freedom Hall. Pat, appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Go Bucks. Patrick Good, ETSU guard, sharpshooter, going to be on the court Saturday. See him at Freedom Hall, Chattanooga, and the Bucks. Six more home games here at Freedom Hall for ETSU before they hit the Southern Conference postseason in Asheville, the SoCon Championship presented by General Shale. We will be right back on Santos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. that time it is yes it is time for the longest intro music of all time but it is time for the college insider top 25 top six the same this week in zaga number one boring week for my interaction with the bulldogs pumped up their santa clara and byu games last week in the same segment and good ones to watch is what i thought and then they beat santa clara by 50 and byu by 23 i no longer am on the bandwagon that the west coast conference is anyone but the bulldogs (laughs) <laughs> it uh it's a quick it's a that quick, quick quick bandwagon for you Reverse uh, are you are you and obviously so did everybody else in the ap uh, polls because i believe they dropped by winning those two games from number one number amazing two. yeah they win by 73 combined bo- points and baylor hops them now granted it's only a three-point margin where baylor has like 1591 points and gonzaga's got like 1588 but still is pretty amazing what everyone else thinks of the West Coast Conference. Clearly, they were right. I was wrong, and we move on. Liberty number two, another ridiculous defensive performance last week against Jacksonville, holding them to 37 points. Almost got beat in their only game this week against Lipscomb, but were able to hang on for a seven-point victory. Their only loss remains LSU. And somehow, they've continued to play at the level that they have, despite not scoring 70 in over a month. Northern Iowa number three, easy over Valpo and Bradley this week putting up 88 and 86 in those victories Yale no letdown despite not playing a division one game in two and a half weeks they beat Brown and Howard by 14 apiece there are only two losses in the last two months by two to Penn State by three to North Carolina Penn State by the way number two in the receiving votes category in the USA Today coaches poll and also all of the top six in the mid-major top 25 that are unchanged this week they're either in that poll the USA Today coaches poll that being Gonzaga who are still number one in the coaches poll despite sliding to two in the AP top 25 and Liberty Northern Iowa, Yale, St. Mary's, and ETSU all in the receiving votes category of the USA Today 
coaches poll. Number five, St. Mary's. The Gales stay there for their nine-point win in their only game this week. That a victory over Pepperdine and ETSU. The number of votes that they get in the AP Top 25 this week, the same number they are in the mid-major poll. That be number six. Telltale sign. I don't know if that is or not, but uh, it's exactly, uh, again, ETSU's going to have to win a lot more games uh, from here on out, sort of like Wofford did. Furman. Furman had some big wins early that helped him get into it, but ETSU at this point is sort of the tortoise in the hair, just steady and slow. is going to get them in the top 25. Can't drop one from there. If they drop another one, probably not, but they did get boosted up. LSU, big comfort behind win against Florida. Every time you think LSU is dead and forgotten about, they're able to keep winning. Obviously, Kansas has been able to keep winning. So you're looking at and, and Arkansas Little Rock leads the Sun Belt. So and they, Winthrop leads the Big South. Yeah, so they got some quality there for Liberty. If I can backtrack just for a second, Liberty. I think the only team that has a shot of beating them was Lipscomb. Lipscomb had the first shot, failed. We'll see what they do with the second shot. We'll talk in a few moments about the Atlantic Sun and the complete ineptitude of the conference so far this year. It's going to get fiery. So. Strap in. Stick around. Number seven, UNCG. Three double-digit wins the ETSU loss has led to. So it was the lost ETSU, then Furman, a victory by 13, Citadel by 10, Chap by 20 this past Saturday, up two spots this week. We know Caleb Hunter's been back since the ETSU game. Still no Kyron Galloway, though. Their fourth-leading scorer behind Isaiah Miller, Hunter, and James Dickey. It's an ankle for Galloway. Three weeks he's been out so far. Furman, number eight, down a spot because of the egg that they laid against Wofford on ESPNU Friday. 18 first-half points for them. Jordan Lyons, yikes. Leading scorer for the team, ugly. 0 for 8 from the field and 0 for 5 from outside the yard. Stephen F. Austin bounced back after a one-point loss to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Get a one-point win against Central Arkansas. Cameron Johnson had a chance to win it at the buzzer against Corpus Christi. Missed one down low against Central Arkansas, though. Kevon Harris makes a free throw with two seconds left to win it. The Bears never getting a chance to match. And the Lumberjacks, after that win, went on to beat Incarnate Word by 24. Wright State rounds out the top 10. The biggest jump in the poll this week, though, is still pretty modest to be the biggest jump, but five spots up, they'll take it. The only Horizon League team ranked in the College Insider Mid-Major Top 25. 13-point win over Cleveland State and a 7-point win over Youngstown State. That's Youngstown's third loss in the league. Only Northern Kentucky now on the heels of Wright State. The Norse 6-2 Wright State, 7-1 in league play. Again, the top 10, Gonzaga, Liberty, North, uh, excuse me, Northern Iowa. Uh, lost them. I was going to say Northwestern. I'm like, no, they're not a mid-major. Yale, St. <laughs> Mary's, ETSU, UNCG. Furman, they're not even good enough to be Stephen ranked in that either. And Wright State. <laughs> That's true. I would love to see a crossover of average Big Ten, Power Five, Pac-12, whatever. If you want to include Group of Five, I don't really care. Uh, the middle of those conferences and trying to slide them in to the mid-major top 25 where they would be. Say if you took like a DePaul who just beat the number five Butler Bulldogs. But DePaul's been pretty bad in league play in the Big East. Uh, where would they be in the mid-major top 25? Would you put them up near a Liberty, who aren't in, obviously, a bigger conference but have only one loss, and that loss is to LSU? Or would you hold them down to a 6-7-8 or ETSU, Furman, and UNCG? Well, it's an interesting one. Because, or lower. Because DePaul, early in the year, right, they have four Big Ten wins, and then they beat Tennessee Tech, who turned around and knocked off the number one team in the country. Right. Uh, Villanova at that time. And so they, they were there, but then they had some horrific losses. Then, I, if you want to go transit a property, DePaul goes to Cleveland State, wins by seven or eight, struggled. Then Cleveland State, a week later, comes to Johnson City and absolutely gets it's pummeled. blown out. Just pummeled. So I, DePaul's kind of a hard one to figure out because they got off to such a great start early, but that would be fun because you got teams like Georgia, right? 
not particularly a great SEC basketball team. They're not winning a lot of games there, but they had some classic uh, games versus Ben Majors where they were squeaking out some wins and stuff. Plus, they got a you know you got the Edwards kid down there. It's quite phenomenal to watch. You haven't seen him yet, so it would be that would be fun. Take the bottom, I don't know, three, four, whatever you want to do, bottom of those teams, or would you take middle of the road, like five hundred teams, and and go and say they're in a mid major? Probably depends on the person you ask, but I mean, you look at. I mean, for me and you, for for, oh, for, um, for my purposes, maybe we'll do it one day and have fun. Well, I don't think it's fair for us to do it because we clearly wear blue and gold and mid major sunglasses most of the time. That's fair. What what if we came up with our own poll of the bottom yes. bottom of the powers? Now we're talking. And we me and you need to will popularize do a, t- a poll. Yeah, we will do uh, the bottom. What are we going to go? 15, 20? Bottom, 50, bottom 20 power five teams yeah. and then yeah. try and intermingle in the mid-major top 25. Make it like a mid-major 45, mid-major top 45. Uh-huh. A second half now power I'm thinking five, we're doing, mid-major now, now, now top Now I think I've just assigned us a lot of work, though. Well, yeah, I, I know you're not a fan of that. Yeah, no. no okay. Number right. 11. It was a good idea. Somebody else do that. BYU, uh, total crap effort versus Gonzaga, though it wasn't as crap as Santa Clara's, who are number 14, and we will skip over them because I'm mad. I invested stock in that game, plus the BYU-Gonzaga game. Just very upset at the West Coast Conference altogether. Kent State, number 12. They'll get no recognition from us and like it for losing their only game of the week against Western Michigan, then trailed at the half last night against Northern Illinois at home by eight. I did not see what happened. I'll check that in a second. They are down four spots to number 12. Number 13, Harvard, the only Ivy League team receiving a vote in the AP Top 25, interestingly enough. They slipped past Dartmouth by five in their first two or first game in two weeks, I should say, still at number 13. Santa Clara, uh, bye. Not talking about them. Number 15, Belmont, they obliterate Eastern Kentucky and Moorhead State by 49 combined points. Good for a two-spot rise this week. Akron, the Zips, after a climb in the poll last week, they dropped two spots this week because they gave up 99 to Toledo, though they did bounce back against Miami of Ohio behind a big first half last night. Colgate, number 17, down one spot as they split last week. Lafayette beating the Patriot League leaders, but Colgate was able to hold serve against Boston U, who are tied with American and Navy behind Colgate. The Raiders, a one-and-a-half game lead in the conference. New Mexico State, number 18, they ascend two spots thanks to road wins at Utah Valley and Seattle. Number 19, San Francisco, also up two spots. They beat LMU by eight. They've got a big showdown against St. Mary's at 10.30 Thursday night, but it doesn't matter because the West Coast Conference consists of Gonzaga and Gonzaga alone. And number 20, that's why we're also skipping past them. Pacific dropped two spots after Santa Clara beat them by four, which makes Santa Clara minus 46 on the week. That is your top 20. I, boy, I tell you, you're making a strong argument. Look at the West Coast Conference. Look Garbage. At the, I mean, the New Mexico State's one. It's a little scary. They had so many injuries early and lost a lot of games while they had a couple of key players out. Now they're starting to hit a stride. And remember, that was a team that was a – Sort of a miracle ending away from knocking out Auburn in the first round of the tournament that allowed Auburn to continue to get to the final four. And so I'll give Auburn credit for surviving that gut punch from New Mexico State and getting out of the first round and getting all the way there. But I think New Mexico State out of the group, especially that group 11 through 20 that you kind of went in, to me that's the one that you're just going to continually just see climb the ladder as the season progresses. You think New Mexico State out of the whack. So you're taking the whack over the West Coast Conference now. I like it. I like oh, where you're I, I'm thinking, I mean, the only couple from Santa Clara and BYU, and I'm guessing New Mexico State will pass them shortly, and it'll just be Gonzaga in front of them. So you're bunching New Mexico State in with the West Coast Conference instead of keeping them in the whack. I like it. No, no, I'm just saying, the only the, out of the teams that are in the West Coast, 
they're going to leapfrog all the West Coast, leave them in the dust, the only one in front of them. Because the wax be better. Yeah. I love it. Uh, number 21, Bowling Green, the third MAC team in the poll behind Kent State and Akron. By the way, Kent State did lose last night at home to Northern Illinois, who are 9-9 nine and nine entering the night, a seven-point loss for the Golden Flashes, so expect them to fall again next week. But the third MAC team in the poll, Bowling Green, the Falcons, the only ones to move up this week of the three after a three-point win against that same Northern Illinois team and a two-point win over Eastern Michigan. William & Mary, number 22, the CAA's only ranked team takes a beating by Drexel, 84 to 57 Saturday night, making the margin from the top to number four in that league just a game. Right in the rearview mirror of the tribe are Charleston, Hofstra, and that Drexel team that put the drubbing on Bill and Mary. 23, Loyola Chicago gives the Missouri Valley a second team in the poll. Northern Iowa a runaway in terms of poll position right now. The Panthers at number three, but the Ramblers at 23, used two double-digit wins this week to keep pace with UNI. Both teams 5-1 and one in the once-mighty Valley. Loyola's loss is to Drake, who have 13 wins, but Northern Iowa's was to Illinois State, who don't have another win in the MVC this year. That's a strange loss for the Panthers. Number 24, Murray State, the only other team to enter the poll after being unranked this week. Loyola Chicago and these racers, who have won seven straight, remain tied atop the Ohio Valley with Austin P at 6-0, a game advantage over the other OVC team in the poll, number 15, Belmont. And finally, number 25, the Catamounts. Not those Catamounts. The America East Catamounts. Vermont, still number 25 this week. Walkthroughs over Binghamton and Hartford on their slate from the last few days. That's big in that conference because Hartford was undefeated in league play up top in, the, in America East, but the one-loss teams now include Vermont, Hartford, Stony Brook, and Albany. And that is your College Insider mid-major top 25. So we got to come up with a name for our poll that's going to include the bottom four or five teams or whatever. Oh, you've, you've got something written down. Maybe it's names. I do not have names. No. What I do have is you mentioned the 130 beginning of the show, 130 FBS. Yep. Uh, FCS was 126. Yep. Basketball, it's 150 instead of 130. So there's a plus 20 there and 200 mid-major teams. 150 or 200? There's 150 of the powers, if you will. The oh, okay. Five plus six or whatever they call it. Uh, and then So I t- the power five plus a group of five or group of six or whatever? Right. Okay. Uh, and then uh, power five plus group six plus the multi-bids that the College Insider do not recognize in the mid-major poll. You mm-hmm. add in those conferences, mm-hmm. and that puts you at 150 teams. That leaves 200 for the College Insider mid-major top 25 uh, there as opposed to the 126 of – and again, I'm still going with there are more teams uh, involved in that. Plus, I think there are representatives in each conference equally voting in that poll as opposed to the non-equitable FCS stats poll. That's what I'm going with that with the football. Big ones to watch this week. San Francisco versus St. Mary's. Wofford is at Western. It'll be interesting to see if Carlos Dotson is back. Belmont and Murray State tomorrow night. The only two ranked OVC teams in the mid-major poll. Kent State in the MAC. At Buffalo Friday, who are receiving votes, Buffalo seems primed to upset, quote-unquote, upset Kent State after they lost to Northern Illinois last night. Liberty faces the only other team in the A-Sun with a winning record overall. Oh, my goodness. North Florida. There are two teams with a winning oh. record overall. Oh. Liberty and North Florida, that league abysmal this season. Maybe that can be my Maybe new... Matthew Driscoll can pull off the W for us. I'm very excited to continue to hit on the Atlantic Sun, much like I hit on Kennesaw State all the time. And I think I also have done get, that with you the You'll make the A-Sun commissioner on. you only get Teddy G on here. Ooh, Teddy G. <laughs> Have him defend himself. I mean, I'm not sure he would like the firing line that I would unleash on him, but sure, if you want. We also got to come up with a name for a mid-major poll. That's our homework. Mid-major slash whatever. Okay. Strange bottom top, you know. Sano sidekick. Poll's not good enough. Mm. We'll We'll, come up with something else. We'll we'll think Friday. Buccaneers Road Network.
Yeah, that, <laughs> it, see ya. <laughs>